Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hearken to thine inner voice and give thyself a bell. No task shalt be denied if thy will be strong and true. For when a bell is rung, it carries with it the sound of courage, that giveth strength to even the meekest of hearts. So ring thine own bell, and be mindful of its power and might, for twill be thy guide in whatever task thou sets thy sight. I am the smart! I am the smart! I am the smart! I am the smart! If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of, you know, a, a clown. Why can't you give me the respect that I'm entitled to? I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast it with the wave, an ultrasonic echographic and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. From the world-famous Cardiff Electric Network Studios in beautiful downtown Bedabler City, it's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. Dr. Steve with my little pal, Dr. Scott, the traditional Chinese medicine provider and gives me street cred, all the wacko alternative medicine assholes. Hello, Dr. Scott. Hey, Dr. Steve. This is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you have a question you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call 347-766-4323. That's 347-Poohhead. Follow us on Twitter at Weird Medicine or at drscottwm. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your health care provider. Don't forget Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. That's simplyherbals.net. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Also, stuff.drsteve.com. It's a gift-giving season coming up. Best place to go is stuff.drsteve.com. This takes you through to Amazon, but it really helps keep us on the air. And uh, thank you for that. And uh, while you're there, look at the roadie uh, robotic uh, guitar tuner or the roadie coach which is a, uh, a automated, computerized uh, thing that you stick on your guitar, and it will tell you, uh, teach you how to play the damn thing. It's pretty neat. <laughs> That's cool. Totally cool. And then uh, don't forget patreon.com slash weirdmedicine. That's ex- there's exclusive content there, and some of the live streams will be put there first before they go um, to the general public. And then the regular audio Patreon show is exclusive to Patreon. 100% of your questions get answered there. And uh, 
right now I'm doing, uh, well, just go to cameo.com slash weird medicine. I've been doing some really stupid things there. And uh, I was like number 24 in cameos one day, but it was because I dropped my price to $2 and said, I want to get 50 in. Uh, before uh, November 30th, and I get something called gold membership or something. It's like, what the hell? What is it? I don't know what it is, but no, I'm obsessed with it. So I'll keep my price down <laughs> to $2 until I get f- the 50 that I need to get that gold, whatever the hell it is. So go to cameo.com slash weird medicine. If you get there and it's already gone back up to the woo whoop de doo $5, then you'll know to, then you'll know that we met our goal and if i didn't then you'll know i didn't which is even more funny and uh, uh check us out at youtube uh youtube.com slash at weird medicine and you can join there now and it's 99 cents uh, i'm gonna do that for a while until we get this thing moving and uh, there will be uh, some sort of members only event when we get enough members so otherwise, you're just giving us 99 cents. But uh, we'll do something. Oh, you can get special uh, tokens when you uh, um, like emojis. I've got some some weird medicine emojis on there, and I'll put more up if people use them. Anyway, all right. Cool. Don't forget to check out Dr. Scott's website at uh, simplyherbals.net. Simplyherbals.net. Simply Herbals, the home of. Uh, the uh, best CBD nasal spray uh, on earth. Yes, so, easily. Still selling some? Yes, sir. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. well, thank you. Okay, doke. Um, did you have any articles today? Tacey is still uh, in Mexico. I've got a couple here that are pretty interesting. Okay. Well, let's hear them. I'm going to have to. Um, you want to start with the the, the, uh, the well, CRISPR-engineered chickens? I, I don't care. <laughs> you, you Proof start. of concept. CRISPR-engineered chickens shrug off flu. Okay. So, yeah, so some researchers are, are um, doing a lot of work over in, it looks like in Czechoslovakia. Well, do you want to tell people what CRISPR is? Um, it's a it's CRISPR is a gene editing um, science where they're what they're doing is they're they're editing um, a genetic code to try to make things happen differently. So, in other words, what they're doing is they'll take out if they see a faulty piece of of um, genetic code, they may try to take it out and replace it with something else. Or what they'll do is they'll take a piece of genetic code and insert it into a gene in order to help hopefully um, make something more resistant to a disease. Correct. And it, which is kind of interesting because actually I was watching this morning on um, uh, CBS Morning where these um, these kids uh, there's there's there, there's a group of families that have children with really rare diseases. Sure. And the and genetic and ones. genetically rare diseases, right? And 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 it's called Jordan's Jordan syndrome. I want to say I think it was the name of it. And uh, these these families have these these children who have these super rare diseases, which you know a lot of the uh, researchers and pharmaceutical companies don't do. A lot of research on because they're so rare. They're they so can't rare, make any money on and they it. cannot make any money on right. it, which, which is unfortunate. So what these 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 parents have done is take it upon themselves to put together researchers from all over the world and come together. And what they're doing is they're actually using this CRISPR um, technology also to help with this Jordan syndrome, wow. as they call it, which is PPP PPP two syndrome type R five D is Jordan syndrome. It's characterized by neurodevelopmental delay. An intellectual disability and or neurobehavioral challenges. 
So I'm wondering how they're treating this with CRISPR. Are they doing it in the embryo? Well, that's exactly what they're doing. They have, have they have, yeah, they haven't treated yet, but what they've done is thank, thanks to um, grant funding that they've been able to access with, with the help of a lot of people, they raised like $38 million. Um, they're actually um, taking these um, CRISPRs and, and doing some genetic modifications, and they just started in a lab, and they're hoping to start using them in, in, in animals, and one of them, will, I'm sure, will be the chickens. And um, to to help to help these 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 kids who have this Jordan syndrome to as they mature to be able to use this CRISPR technology to help them get past this disease, hmm. which would be just incredible if you think about it. Well, it says here's an article: molecular signatures and reversibility in mouse models of Jordan syndrome. So they've tried it in mammals. Yeah, so they're having a little bit of success already. Which is, which Prior is support cool. from Jordan's Guardian Angels, a foundation dedicated to finding a cure for the disorder. They uh, generated constitutive, inducible, and reversible mouse models of the most common um, missense mutations that cause Jordan syndrome. And remarkably, preliminary data reveal that even in their uh, heterozygous state, meaning that they've got one normal gene and one abnormal gene, mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, mutant mice recapitulated the cardinal features of Jordan syndrome, including developmental delay. So uh, that's actually a good thing. It gives them a model that they can work with. Right. Yes. Yeah, so they could actually create this problem. Yeah. So it, they can you have to work have a, a, a right. working model to right. try to fix so it. That, isn't it. Isn't it incredible? So CRISPR stands for clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats. And uh, they have... Uh, Pull it easier to say CRISPR. Uh, I know. That's why they have <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they, um, uh, you know, they've got this protein that forms a complex with the guide M- uh, uh, RNA in the cell. And that attaches to matching DNA sequences adjacent to these spacers. And then uh, it cuts out the double-stranded DNA, and then the programmed DNA can be inserted at the cut. So it's pretty cool. It's really incredible. It's amazing. <laughs> it's it, it is. It's amazing when you think about years and years ago, the, not being any kind of hope whatsoever. At least now they're making some some strides forward. Yeah. But you know, the main reason they did this with the chicken, Doctor Steve, was because try, with the avian flu, um, trying to save. Right, millions and millions of chickens. Right, they're just trying to make for food. Well, yeah, so because chickens are a little bit easier to raise and don't cost quite as much and don't take up as much space. Right, but you know that one virus just wipes them out, and so being able to interrupt that. And what they found was that after gene editing using CRISPR, that they were able to to inoculate some of these birds with avian flu, the chicks right. with avian flu, and none of them died. Wow, which is incredible. That's amazing. And that more damn importantly, virus is going to get pissed though. Yeah, not but trying it, to find a different. Host. That's, that's the truth. Well, doesn't no, really didn't, work. Didn't, that think, way, didn't think about thankfully. that, but well, that we know of. <laughs> but you know, the interesting thing is that not only did they not die, but they did not pass it on. To other chickens, really? which was which is hugely important. So this one actually prevented transmission, right. unlike certain other things. <laughs> well, good for that. Yeah, yeah that's which awesome. Is, which is pretty cool. Yeah, poor, poor old chickens. I always hate it when the avian flu comes through, and then they just have to kill millions of chickens. It's not they're just their minding fault. their own business. They're just <laughs> yeah, you know, walking around eating some you know chicken. Well, they give it to us, and we're screwed. So <laughs> you know, better them than us, but still, that's sad. That would be. Yeah, that's a bad thing. All right, um, that's a good one. What so that's a good got? one. Yeah. So, so we've got another one from old buddy Stacy, 
the loach. He he passed one on. It's about a plasma tech transforms blue green algae into wound healing wonder. What? Which is pretty incredible. So what they what researchers are doing is with plasma technology, is to is to transform blue green algae um, microalgae into bioactive coatings that will help cure wounds. Um, and what they're doing is they're they're using they're using plasma technology to break down the uh, cellular um, wall structure of the this blue green algae, and then they're putting what it mean on plasma technology. Well, uh, like pla- like you know, like plasma cutters. I would assume is what this is. You know how they do plasma cutters to cut metal. Yeah, um, and it's super. And it, what it does, it superheats. It superheats okay. whatever yeah. it is. So if it superheats the metal, it cuts it, or superheats the uh, the um, yeah. plasma gas, where the it's so hot that the electrons have been pulled away from the nucleus, and so it exists in a charged state. Right. Huh. So it breaks down the wall, and then and and and, and evidently, what what they're doing is is taking this this microalgae after they've broken down this this wall. Uh, the cellular wall, putting it on these band-aids or bandages and wrapping huh. it and to keep, you know, bacteria out and allowing your, your, your wounds to heal because, you know, something we've always, we are not always done, but one thing we know is that if a wound is allowed to heal from inside out, a lot of times it'll push all the, the nastiness out where if you have, if you allow something to scab too quickly, sometimes wounds will develop the infections underneath that, that scab. Huh. So that this is keeping it from 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 being infected from the outside, but allowing it to heal from the inside. Well, it says that the unicellular organism possesses a simple reproductive system, generates a biomass containing bioactive compounds with potent antioxidant and antibacterial properties. Because these things are trying to fight off bacteria all the time. Okay. You know, algae and bacteria are not friends, so they're always fighting, no. which means that you can find stuff that'll kill bacteria and algae, but they have real thick cell walls. Mm-hmm. And so the when they use the plasma, it gets rid of the cell wall, but it leaves behind these uh, antibacterial substances. And so it decreases the inflammation and enhances healing. So it's um, antibacterial activity of um, argon-treated algae was assessed found to be highly effective against Pseudomonas aeruginosa, which is a nasty bacterium, and Staph aureus with 93% and 73% cell death. Hmm. So it's really operating as a film that they put on the bandage that then kills uh, bacteria. Mm -hmm. Not too dissimilar to that stuff that we use... um, uh, iodoform gauze, you know, where it's impregnated with iodine and you jam it in a right. cyst or something and okay. then pull it out an inch at a time and it will heal up from the bottom, like you said. So, well, yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. So thank you, old Stacy. All right. He, yep. He actually came up with a good one. Bless <laughs> it. He usually does. <laughs> oh, I know he does. <laughs> Do you know anything about this Maya Kowalski business? No, nothing at all. I, I think somebody I mentioned was, it in the show what a week or two ago. But no, I, well, I did anymore. they? If they did, I didn't. I didn't notice it. I was on uh, live stream last night, and you can check out our live streams on uh, YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash at Weird Medicine. I, you know, I do them every once in a while. I did it last night, Friday at nine p.m. Okay. And uh, somebody said, do you know anything about the Maya Kowalski case? And there's a documentary on Netflix called Take Care of Maya. 
And um, I wanted to get your input on this because this is a very strange case. Um, there's a $220 million case against Johns Hopkins. And uh, they, so this doctor uh, who had treated this patient, who at the time was a kid, um, said, you know, testified that she was suffering from complex regional pain syndrome. Okay. Well, I have that, but I have a very mild case that I got it from um, a toenail removal. So complex regional pain syndrome very often comes from trauma and you get shock to the nervous system and then the sympathetic nerves uh, start to uh, misfire. And what you get is pain and thickened skin, modeling of the skin. You'll get neuropathy and all that kind of stuff. And it, so they said uh, she relied on an anesthetic drug, ketamine, to be able to accomplish basic tasks. So, of course, I, because I'm being prescribed ketamine right now myself, I perked up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm just going to read you this story. This is from Daily Mail. The doctor who prescribed Maya Kowalski's ketamine treatments he's, says the teenager at the center of Netflix's Take Care of Maya would have suffered a slow and painful death without them. Now, I've had a lot of people with complex regional pain syndrome. I've never had anybody die from it. So she must have had – well, you look that up and just sure. see, you sure. know, CRPS mortality. I'm sure it's not zero. No, it's so not So she zero must have had a really bad case of it. Uh, Dr. Anthony Kirkpatrick testified that Kowalski 17 required the treatments to be able to do basic things such as feed herself and brush her hair due to the fact that she was suffering from complex regional pain syndrome. It's also used to be known as reflex sympathetic dystrophy, and then the other kind was called causalgia. He took to the stand in a $220 million case against Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital on Tuesday amid a legal battle brought by the team's family after she was removed from their care as a child and held at the facility. So uh, Kowalski was placed into state custody for three months at the age of 10 after doctors at the Florida hospital began to suspect her parents were uh, faking her symptoms. In other words, uh, that they suspected that they had uh, Munchausen's by proxy. Are you, so Munchausen by proxy is a condition where <clears throat> you bring your kid in and you may poison them or just say they're sick or you coach them to be sick so that you can get uh, 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 attention. Attention, right. Right. As the parent. Uh, Florida's Department of Children and Families and a state judge also supported the suspicions of child medical abuse and ordered her to be housed at the center. During this time, her mother, Beta or Beata, took her own life amid the misery of being separated from her daughter. That's uh, horrendous. Uh, Kirkpatrick was the person who first diagnosed Kowalski's CRPS. He told the court a light touch blowing on the skin is perceived as being painful. She had that. She had a bad case of it. He initially prescribed low doses of pain medication ketamine, which Kowalski reportedly responded to, but he soon deemed that they were not enough. He then recommended upping the dose and an intensive ketamine coma treatment in Mexico, something he said he discussed with the hospital. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick told the court, I emphasize that if she doesn't get the ketamine, it's going to be a slow and painful death. 
The family opted to move forward with the therapy, which Kirkpatrick said was a success. He added she could take care of herself, comb her hair, brush her teeth, eat with her hands, and so forth. The Kowalski family is hoping the doctor's testimony will persuade jurors that teen was in fact suffering from CRPS, which hospital staff began to doubt when she was admitted in 2016. Part of the problem is there's not really a good test for it. There are criteria Mm -hmm. for it, but not a good test for it. Uh, You know, a definitive test. It's a checklist. Uh, They questioned how insistent Kowalski's mother in particular was to have her daughter prescribed the ketamine treatments began to suspect she may have Munchausen system by uh, symptom uh, syndrome, Munchausen syndrome by proxy, a psychological condition where caregivers crave medical attention for their wards. It's previously been reported Kowalski's mother demanded 1,500 milligram dosage of ketamine for her daughter. 1,500? That's a, that is a big dose of ketamine. That's a big yeah, dose. Yeah, Lord. That is um, 100 times more than my starting dose was. Yeah, that's a bunch. Goodness. Typically, standard anesthetic doses in clinical setting are well below 10 milligram. I don't know if that's true. Maybe IV, according to Rehab Center of the Recovery Village Ridgefield. While treatment for acute CRPS is normally treated with one milligram of ketamine per kilogram of body weight per hour, according to Florida Medical Pain Management. So, hmm. so if you were 70 kilos, then you'd get 70 milligrams an hour, though. Over how many hours? At a previous hearing, lawyers for the hospital highlighted the potential risk of the ketamine treatment, questioned the family's eagerness to pursue it. The attorney, Ethan Shapiro, asked the teen's father, Jack Kowalski, if he was made aware the coma therapy carried a 50% risk of death. That sounds high as well. So uh, we need to look this up. Uh, ketamine, ketamine uh, coma therapy mortality. Fifty uh, percent sounds very high. Really? Why would I they don't. even do this? I don't know. <clears throat> okay, prolonged ketamine therapy as a uh, infusion as a therapy for complex regional pain syndrome synergism with antagonism. This is from 2014, British Journal of Clinical Pharmacology. Not a uh, you know a stupid journal. No. Okay. So let's look this up. So they are uh, at least reporting on it. Let's look at mortality. Okay. Within this setting, it um, okay. Um, since its earliest introduction, it's also been a drug of abuse taken for its hallucinogenic and euphoric acts, actions. Within this setting, it causes both morbidity and mortality through overdose-related aspiration or psychotic delusions leading to self-harm. Right. Well, that's to be expected. Those are people abusing it. Right. Under a medical situ- uh, situation, I do not think that um, 50% is an accurate number. And as a matter of fact, in this particular study, it's never mentioned again. Hmm. Ketamine infusion studies provided evidence of cleaning, uh, sorry, clinically meaningful analgesic benefit, something that is all too rare in the pharmacologic management of complex regional pain syndrome, which is absolutely true. It's very difficult to treat. Hmm. Um, let me see. I'm just looking to see if they had doses in here that were that high. But I, I don't know where I, – I would challenge that attorney and say, where are you getting your information from? Now, um, after he asked that – then um, the father responded, well, there's a risk in every procedure. That wouldn't have been 
my response to that, my response would have been, that's not what we were told. Where are you getting your information from? Right. And then you have an expert come in and like me mm-hmm. and evaluate whether that data that they're presenting is bullshit or not. Right. So the attorney pressed further saying, I understand that, Mr. Kowalski, but respectfully, there's a risk. And then there's a risk that there's a coin flip in which your daughter could uh, die. Did you know it was 50 percent? The dad replied he was aware, but had been told nobody had ever died from the procedure. Okay, so there's some miscommunication here because if there's a 50 percent death rate and then you're saying no one ever died from it, well, that can't be true. It's a zero percent death rate. Yeah. So there's some some malarkey going on with that attorney. And um, Mm. but anyway, um, yeah, it's a that's tragedy. And uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot else here, but the the Mm. medical part of it says their lawsuit alleges Kowalski's condition was aggravated by the care she received at the hospital. She was videotaped for 48 hours on another occasion, stripped down her underwear and photographed without the permission of the guardian or the dependency court. They're seeking 55 million in compensatory and 165 million in punitive damages. And, you know, this girl lost her family for three months and then lost her mother. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that I said on um, the live stream is, so you get a family, they come to you, and they're asking for something that sounds outlandish. Just because it sounds outlandish to you, listen to them, Mm -hmm. at least... Give them the respect of listening to them and then do some research because apparently they had gone to Mexico and had had this and then they came back and wanted it again here. Mm-hmm. From the parent side, if if they were doing this in a foreign country, then to have um, – and you wanted to do it in the States and you got to have somebody set up ahead of time. You can't walk into the emergency room demanding this because they won't be no. able to, no. to figure it out. And uh, that they're looking for how to fit people into a nice little box in the emergency room, and that just doesn't fit. No. Did you find any doses for the prolonged ketamine therapy? No, that, that wasn't what, what you. That wasn't my task. You gave me. You no, told I me know, to, but yeah, I no, just you, assumed that you were looking um, looking at things. The neurocognitive effects of five day anesthetic ketamine God. for the treatment. What? No, I, I mean you, you know. Told me look up this. Okay, the death rate. Did you look it up? I did. And what does it say? Fifty percent of people with CRPS um, have considered suicide, but as that's a direct, where they got the fifty percent right, from. But as a direct causal um, effect on on someone's you know causing death from CRPS, there's nothing that's been reported that I can find. Yeah. Okay. So sure, uh, that's true of trigeminal neuralgia as well. Right. The suicide. Um, Got a nerve pain. That's what. That's another nickname. So that's a, if they had said that. Listen, she that's, was suicidal. That's, that's different. This yeah. was a little kid, and she was contemplating suicide. Uh, that all, from a medical standpoint, makes more sense. Right. So, uh, but okay. So I still don't know where the fifty percent death rate from the ketamine infusion. Yeah. The only that's the only 50% I could find related to CRPS. Here we are, nine patients received neuropsychological evaluation pre and six weeks post treatment. 
Um, and they got, um, let me see, uh, CRPS, your, your microphone is killing me, is characterized by severe neuropathic pain that exceeds the severity of an injury is refractory to traditional treatments. Recent, okay, um, recent experimental interventions include ketamine infusion therapy. And uh, we sought to evaluate physical, neurocognitive, and emotional effects of extended treatment with anesthetic doses of ketamine in refractory patients. They had nine patients who received neuropsychological evaluation um, pre- and post-treatment, and they saw there was marked reduction in the report of both acute and overall pain for treatment. So uh, deep ketamine therapy is effective for the relief of pain in CRPS. I'm still not seeing any doses, though. But anyway, uh, we're going to have to change the battery on your mic uh, today. That's got to be what it is. But anyway, yep, I'm not uh, seeing anything else as far as what these crazy doses are, though. Um, mm -mm, I I hate to—I mean, I wish I'd been a little bit more prepared for this. At, uh, to look this particular thing up. I just, yeah, I'm scanning through these articles and can't find anywhere where they give what dose they're using. So anyway, it's a tragic case. I'm sorry for her and uh, for her family, and uh, hopefully they'll get some resolution from this. And everybody will learn from this that just because somebody comes in asking for something out of the box doesn't mean that they're crazy or that they are, um, you know, trying to harm themselves or their kid, you know, just listen to them. And uh, if they had gotten records from the clinic in in Mexico where apparently they had had this done, uh, maybe they would have had, sung a different tune. But anyway. Right. All right. What else we got? That it? How about one from Diesel Child? Yeah, yeah. Is it safe to assume that a probiotic that isn't required to be refrigerated pretty much is bogus? <laughs> no, that's the weird thing is these stupid bacteria are so simple and just dumb organisms that you can freeze dry them and uh, and then reconstitute them in, in water. Now... I, I always wonder, they say, you know, 23 billion colonies. That's not a lot, hmm. you know, when you're talking about bacteria because they're so small. Is that how many survive reconstitution or is that how many are actually in there? I don't know. Um, now, when you get something like a yeast um, probiotic, often those things will be spores or they'll be the the dehydrated um, Yeasties and those things can just be reconstituted. Think about it this way. If you buy brewer's yeast, it's dry, and you put it in water, and then you make beer out of it. It comes back to life. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's kind of the same thing for the dry uh, probiotics as well. Yeah. They're just dumb one-cell organisms that can live. Uh, well, they can they don't live. They can exist in a state where they could be reconstituted just by throwing them back in water. Did you have another one? No, I was just reading. Um, not Cupcakes was talking about that. My, uh, yeah, Not Cupcakes is uh, one that turned me on to this whole okay, case. Gotcha, gotcha, what, okay. what were they saying? She was talking about um, Maya was getting ketamine from a hospital doctor um, when she went to see Dr. Cantu in Mexico and was put in a coma, given this high dose of Right. Um, ketamine. 
Yeah. And then I, came back to the States and, and I guess wanted it again. Yeah. And then they were like, what? Yeah, that's an exceptionally large. And then, uh, you know, well, it 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 is to us, uh, but right. is it? Maybe though? it's not. Maybe it's in all of us. And the thing is, is that if it was over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So let's say that she was 30, um, 30 kilos, right? Mm-hmm. So and then they wanted a milligram per kilogram per hour. Let's see how many hours that would be. Echo, what's 1,500 divided by 30? 1,500 divided by 30 is 50. Yeah, so maybe they did it for, um, you know, two days. Okay. Right? Right. If they put her in a coma for two days at 30 milligrams per, I mean, one milligram per kilogram per day. God, one milligram per kilogram per hour for Mm -hmm. two days, that would be 1,500 milligrams. Mm -hmm. And that is not abnormal. I mean, they do that treatment um, with ketamine coma for some, for patients in the United States for for uh, chronic migraine headaches or profound migraine headaches. Really? How long do they? They put, put them under? out for 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 like a day or, or two. Well, okay. No, 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 I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna look at it. Not, I'm gonna look at it. But, it's, but it, what I'm saying is, I think there's precedence for it. I just don't know what the. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. It's, no, I think that. Well, I thought uh, you were gonna yell at me, ask me how what the doses were. Oh, the, uh, we just said it's a milligram per kilogram per hour, and you just said they do it for a day. So two days doesn't sound like a whole lot to me. And now, in a ten year old kid, maybe, but um, still, that adds up to fifteen hundred milligrams. It doesn't sound so crazy. When, you know, you and I are imagining, well, they're just giving her an infusion of 1,500 milligrams of ketamine. That's just not, you know, that's outside the realm of normal for us. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly when I'm taking 30 milligrams a day. Right. You know, but anyway. Yeah, it's very interesting. So I wasn't aware of that with the migraine. So, uh, yeah, I need to bone up on my deep coma um, ketamine. See what you can find on Well, that. what they hope, it, what the, the re, and the reason they do it is kind of like I would assume what they're doing for, I again, I, I haven't seen that case, but um, is to, is to when somebody has such profound migraines, they, they, they try to put them in this ketamine coma for a day or two Just and to, hopes it resets everything. Yeah. 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 Ketamine uh, is an interesting mm-hmm. drug and it, and it affects neuroplasticity and stuff. And so uh, in a good way. Now, yeah, here's that one that I was reading was five-day anesthetic ketamine, mm. deep ketamine for five days. Wow. So really, 50 hours is doesn't sound like that much. No. Huh. Sounds like a lot more to this story than... Yeah, than I wish that the, somebody, you know, would talk about those numbers because we hear 1500 milligrams of ketamine and every ER doc, every pain person, you and I were both like, damn. But when you look at it uh, over a prolonged period of time, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not that much. No, no, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And again, <sighs> they may look in the future and say, well, shit, that was only half of what you needed to, to do. Well, maybe, but I mean, you, I mean, I'm just right, you just right, never right. Know. You just never know. The other thing was, this was a while ago. This was like 2018 or something. So it, ketamine wasn't as common. I mean, right now they look kind of silly because you can buy ketamine um, mail order now. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to have a prescription for it. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, mine just comes in the mail. 
Yeah, no. Um, so we've got another good question here from the from the fluid family, Golden yes. Golden George, keeping it in this kind of. Um, By the way, you can uh, nerve. now become a member of the fluid family. It's only ninety nine cents. What? And uh, what's the bargain of the day? Scott and I will do some sort of members only thing if we get a <laughs> you know enough people. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so, sounds sounds like an interesting time. So Golden George is wondering about gabapentin. What about it? Um, uh, as terrible uh, nightmares, and he's on three hundred a day, which he, he three hundred milligrams a day, which which he knows is a low dose. Yes, we all know is a low dose, relatively speaking. But it was just wondering how in the world people can tolerate you know these massive doses of, of gabapentin, which I you and I both know people go two thousand, three thousand. So he's so he was not having nightmares before he started it. Right now he's having vivid, wicked nightmares. Oh well, well take it in the daytime. Yeah. You know you can do that. Oh yeah. Well, not unless your unless your prescriber tells you to take it at bedtime. Well, right. Well, if they do, then. As a general rule, though, you can take gabapentin any time of the day. Yeah, so people general, take it three, we're not, we're not three times a day. It, but yeah, you can take it breakfast, lunch. Talk to your prescriber, see if taking it in the morning will uh, abrogate that. That, In other words, that the gabapentin, the effect that's causing the weird dreams is gone by the time that you go to bed at night. And um, yeah, but gabapentin, also known as Neurontin, is um, you know a neurostabilizer type drug. They It was first... Um, brought out for seizures, and then we started using it for neuropathic pain. And uh, you can use it for other things like uh, hiccups and um, chronic cough and some other stuff. So uh, gabapentin is a pretty neat drug. It, it is renally dosed. In other words, if you have renal failure or renal insufficiency, you, the max dose starts to decrease, but the maximum dose for a normal healthy person is 3,600 milligrams. Mm-hmm. So he's on... Yeah. Way less than the nor than the max, but but you know but you know and, and the, the I think the, the most important part of this message is all these medications affect, affect people differently. Recor- recor- so right. that's a Very really good. important that thing. So he, yeah. does, so he may just Give be a little sensitive to that. Yeah, so you're not alone, but yeah, but talk to your provider. Yeah, that's an important point. Uh, Everyone is different, and yeah. so some people can tolerate 3,600. Yeah. One other thing that no, they it could doesn't even phase them. One thing that they could maybe do is split it up into 100 milligram three times a day. Right. If you got to have the 300 right. Right. and right. taking it all in the morning is a problem, you could split it up that way. Yeah, and I'd say that's probably a, a, a your your insurance company question. Isn't it? Yeah, depending yeah. on they may yeah, not they, well, but you know what I mean. They I'll tell not, you they what, may not pay for it. The stupid EMR, you know, it, as long as the math works, it doesn't matter if okay. it makes any okay. sense. I sent in a prescription for someone for gabapentin, 600 milligrams, three times a day. The EMR decided it was going to give them 100 milligram capsules, and it wrote out gabapentin 100 milligram six capsules three times a day, and gave them like a, a what is uh, well what would that be 618, good lord a whatever 18 times 450 capsules, and uh, the insurance just paid for it. Oh cool 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 cool. Well, it's not cool. It's stupid. Say <laughs> someone say something. The pharmacist could have said something. The patient could have said something. It's like what's this big giant bottle of. I didn't order 450 <laughs> gabapentin. I've know? seen I've seen people come in my office with those damn that's like a butter jar full. jug yeah. of gabapentin. So we we have a um, cupcakes was also saying that that um, gabapentin uh, after a total knee replacement made me so dizzy I fell because of it. The gabapentin did, yeah. yeah. 
Well, I'm sorry. So yeah, you have to be super careful. And um, and yeah, he just very sensitive to it. Yeah. Well, that was that was cupcakes. Um, not Golden George. George was saying that that they told they said not to take it during the day because it made him so drowsy. You know, well, if he makes sense. for him, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, we got another. We got a follow up to the ant or the probiotic. Okay. Um, yep. Question, which is a pretty good question yep. as, as well. Um, so, what are some other? What are some foods? Are there or are there foods that will help to rebuild the? So, evidently, a lot of uh, a really high dose of of a potent antibiotic sure feels like it destroyed his gut, and trying to figure out some ways to rebuild that. Absolutely. So, so probiotic foods, high probiotic foods. Well, there's prebiotics and probiotics. So prebiotics will feed the probiotics, but I don't worry about that so much. Mm. Most we eat enough stuff Food, that yeah. will, a variety of. So I'll I'll go, I'll go and you'll go until we run out. Okay? okay. So the the typical one is yogurt. Sure. Needs to be cultured. It's got to say live cultures on it. Sauerkraut. Oh, good one. Good Woo-hoo. one. Kefir. Is um, kimchi. Kimchi is a good one. Uh, kombucha. Kombucha is a great one. Now, that's an acquired taste, but I'm telling you, when I started drinking kombucha, uh, my life changed. I'm going to do one better, and this 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 will be the uh, kind of drop the mic yeah. um, one for me, beer. No. <laughs> <laughs> they know now there was a report. I sent you that email, but I, and I, I don't know where it is. There was a report that, that the um, – but live, past, live, live beers, beers, live beers like like Belgian beers. Well, they got to be live, right? right live right, Belgian right. beers. Yeah. Their, their probiotics are better than the probiotics. Well, like I believe it. Stuff. No, yeast yeah, is yeah, a yeah. good uh, probiotic. Yeah. And when you buy these capsules, and it's just thirty nine billion of lactobacillus, you're not getting what you need. No. The one thing I like about kombucha over yogurt and kefir, uh, well, particularly over yogurt, but. Um, uh, over uh, uh, other probiotics is kombucha has a bunch of different bacteria in it. It has a um, symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. And uh, you need all of that. You need good yeast. Mm-hmm. You know, Saccharomyces is good yeast. Your gut, you know, uses that very well. And then lots of different kinds of bacteria. And the other thing is in kombucha is uh, there are um, uh Acids that are good for digestion and mm-hmm. stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, well, and for, for prebiotics, just real quickly, just yeah. you know, a lot of fruits are, are high in prebiotics. Sure. So apples, See fruit, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. and asparagus is is particularly high as a prebiotic. So asparagus, asparagus is a good thing to eat as a prebiotic to help your probiotics. You can get um, uh, fermented pickles too. Now, my son's fiance loves pickles. Mm-hmm. And she's very picky about them, and I made uh, fermented pickles, and they were really good. You can't you can't use the cucumbers that you buy in the store mm-hmm. if they have the wax on them. Uh, so they have to be canning pickles gotcha. or use homegrown, uh, yeah. homegrown yeah. pickles. And uh, you just uh, wash them off, and you stick them in a jar, and uh, you add distilled water, and then you got to weigh how much the contents are minus the jar. So you got to weigh the jar first. And then you add enough salt to make a 3% brine solution. And uh, then take uh, two bay leaves. The bay leaves will keep it crispy. If your pickles are mushy, put bay leaves in there. You can, you can also use tea bags. It's just the tannins. But tea bags uh, make it look gross, and you know I don't like that. So just put a couple of bay leaves in there. And then sprigs of dill and some garlic. And then... Um, and cover it with a um, 
uh, fermentation cap, which you can just buy at uh, Amazon or wherever. And all it is is just a it keeps fruit flies out and lets gas out, et cetera. And you let it sit there for two weeks, and then you stick it in the refrigerator. And they're the, the Alana loved those pickles. She's still talking about that's them. Funny. That's how good they were. That's cool. Yeah, they're real crispy and stuff. Now they won't. They don't have the shelf life like the hot processed pickles that you know that we make do. But but those are also very probiotic and got a lot of lactobacillus in it. Mm. Buttermilk's another one. So, yep. and then there are cheeses that are still have live cultures in them as well. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever had this tempeh shit? You're a oh, you're I love tempeh. Yeah, I love smoke. I, I love the tempeh. So, it's, what it's, what's it like? I know it's fermented soybeans, it's, but what it's is smoke? That? Smoke from yes, yeah, fer, smoke's fermented soybeans. It's it's got a much better flavor. It's much more nutty flavored, and it's and it the the texture's much more meaty. It's 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 uh it's almost like chicken. I would say, really? or, a, or a scallop. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's that. It's that kind of. Thick. So they make phony meat out of them. Out of oh, I'll, no, I love tempeh. It's it's a. It, I'll make I'll make like tacos and you know make that the the, I guess for lack of a better term the the meat component of a yeah. taco or something. You just use, use the taco seasonings yeah, with exactly. it. It's fabulous, okay. fabulous. So soybeans usually have this stuff called phytic acid in them, which is a uh, impairs absorption of minerals. But when you ferment soybeans. It lowers the amount of that phytic acid, hmm. so it allows your body to absorb more minerals, which is pretty cool. Also, fermentation uh, produces vitamin B12. That's another. That's a nutrient that soybeans don't contain, so you usually get B12 from animal products. So people who are just eating soybeans for their protein, they're not getting enough B12. If you eat a little tempeh, you'll get some uh, B12 that way, or just take the B12 supplement. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, yeah. and then uh, miso and miso. That's yeah, the other yeah, one, yeah. But didn't mean to interrupt. Actually. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, Livewire, Livewire Kitty's got a, a, a great question too. Um, is there a cure for gluten intolerance? <laughs> and 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 sure. If Don't so, eat any can, f- yeah, can fucking you, gluten. Well, <laughs> well, but can you can you reset your system? So so let's talk a little bit about the yeah. difference between an intolerance versus like a gluten allergy. Right, right, right. So they're celiac sprue. Right. Those are people who are truly allergic to um, to gluten. That will cause uh, inflammation in the gut and cause malabsorption and cause abdominal pain and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that is. And you have to be tested for that, and there are several tests that they can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's intolerance, which is what I have because I don't have sprue. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, and and then there's sensitivity too. So, That's what I meant. Yeah. In, in what, some, what did I say? I meant well, I meant sensitivity. Yeah. The so intolerance and sensitivity maybe yeah. it would be synonymous in this okay. case. But yeah. but what I would say is. <clears throat> If if that's the case, if you do not, if you've not been diagnosed with an actual allergy to it, but you have an in, a, a sensitivity to it, I would I would look at resetting my gut with all these probiotics and prebiotics we talked about before, but but eliminating some other inflammatory um, things in your diet. For instance, and I'll tell you just for me me specifically, um, one of the things that was killing my stomach was was um, uh, onions yeah. and, and garlic. And I, for, for years, I thought that I was gluten sensitive. As soon as I stopped eating onions and garlic, a lot of the inflammation in my gut went away. So now I, I can eat gluten now. Yeah. So yeah. It, was, it was, the glutens were getting a, a, a little bit of a, a bad rap. A bad rap, yeah. So I, I was blaming you on glutens, and that was not the case at all. I don't think it's gluten for me as it is uh, concentrated carbohydrates. So okay. if I, because if I eat a bunch of rice, I'll have the same thing that happens to me if I eat a bunch of bread, right. which is 
horrible heartburn and bloating. Oh, and all terrible that kind abdominal of pain. And, and, you, yeah. and I think visceral pain for a lot of people is really frightening because, you know, organ-related pain for people. Because um, a lot of times it's hard to diagnose. Yeah. And it's hard to identify what the triggers are. So what I would say is that if you don't, if you've taken the, the, the gluten allergy test and you don't have celiac brew as right. we described and you have a sensitivity to it look at some of the other things that may be involved for instance you know love italian food you know our favorite italian restaurant we go to all the time yep um i stopped going for a little while just because it seemed like every time i went there i felt awful yeah but as soon as i figured out what was going on now i go back there all the time and i can eat i just don't i just don't have but onions and garlic and things Correct. So I can so I can eat pastas. I can eat pizza now. You mean cooked onions bother you? Any of them? Any See, of them? I can't eat raw. Yeah, I can't eat any of them. They kill me. Even the cooked ones, and that's the cruddy thing because you know onions and garlic are both typically, if you can tolerate yeah. them, pretty healthy for you, mm-hmm. and 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 high in prebiotics. So there are enzymes that you can take supplements that are gluten gluten aminate. Well, I don't know what it is. It's gluten something and A's, and uh, but um, these. Enzymes basically uh, will cleave gluten in your stomach, and then you just absorb the amino acids. I've not had any luck with that, but you can try it. Um, you can get those at GNC and other places like that. And they're still under investigation, so I haven't seen a lot of data on them. Yep. All right. Yep. What else we got? That for right now, that's all. all. Right. Our, our flu okay. family Good. has come through big time Good. today. Number yeah. one thing. Yeah. Don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. All right. I had um, voicemails on our Dropbox and forgot to download them, so let me grab those real quick because these are brand new. Oh, we're not going back in <laughs> now, well, 15, we, <laughs> 20 years for this stuff. That was actually kind of fun. That was fun. We'll, we'll do it again. Being able to find some, uh, some old school stuff. Okay, so this is not um, doing its thing. Come on now. Okay, here we go. Hey, Dr. Steve. Hey. Ticey. Good morning from the mountains of Colorado. It's Jethro from PA. It's been a hot minute. Hey, man. Anyway, doctor. Okay. <laughs> I was burying one of my wife this morning at 8,500 feet above sea level. There you go. And I damn near passed out. Can you go into some details about orgasms at altitude? Sure. And also, is it like autoerotic asphyxiation? Yep. Without the risk of pulling a David Carradine? Yep. No. Nope. <laughs> Actually, depends. depends on how high you are, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, 8,300 <laughs> 80, feet. But Shit and kill him, but he might it, feel really crappy. You, it's lack of oxygen, my brother. You you nailed it. I should give him a bell. Let's see. Give thyself a bell. And no one's really 100% sure why oxygen deprivation causes uh, improved orgasms. I know I tend to hold my breath getting close to the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just natural. I've always done that. And then some people um, do this autoerotic asphyxiation. Please don't do that Mm -hmm. unless you're doing it with somebody who knows what the hell they're doing because – you, you know, you don't want to have an orgasm, have somebody choke you to death. Or if you're doing it by yourself, have what happened to some famous people where the mechanism doesn't release 
and they just end up dying. Mm -hmm. So uh, try holding your breath instead or do what this guy did and go to a high altitude. For real. There's, there's got to be some kind of resort up on the high mountain somewhere you can go to and enjoy well, I was at all Sno- of those things. I was at Snowbird and almost died up there. I told you that story. I was skiing in the, in, uh, in powder, and I, I got stuck in the powder up at the top of the mountain. It was like 11,000 feet, and I just said, well, I'm just going to lay down here and die. No, I don't, I don't remember. I've never told you that? I don't think so. Oh, I was at a meeting, and uh, there was this— cute young woman and she was like oh tee hee hee I don't know how to ski will you go with me and so we go all the way up to the top and I get off of this thing and it's a double diamond oh jeez and it's in Utah and it's and it's um you know uh, there's powder everywhere and she just goes see at the bottom and chung, 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 down there I went like you Effing B. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not the first guy that's been lured to their demise by uh, some uh, cute, uh, cute <laughs> woman. But anyway, so I got up there and I started going down the hill. And I'm a decent skier, East Coast skier. I mean, I raced in high school and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm decent, but not when you're knee deep in powder. I don't no. know. My, my body didn't know what to do. So I just got stuck, and uh, it was hard uh, just extricating myself because my feet were down below the level of the, you know, the surface of the of the snow, and I couldn't reach them, and I was just going to leave my damn skis there and pay for them. But I ended up rolling onto my side and getting my skis up above me, and I compacted the snow enough so that I didn't smother. And then I just sort of slid down till I could find a place where I could ski. But the the altitude was the big problem. If it had been Ugh. at sea level, I wouldn't have been nearly as panicky. Right. But I, you know, I thought I was going to die for real. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't do heights or or elevation at all. It makes me sick. It's bad. fun though. Um, yeah. If you uh, get out of the shower, you just need a little like a little square of Kleenex. You hardly need to dry <laughs> off at all because it just all evaporates so yep. quickly. It's pretty it neat. wild. All right. Uh-oh. Yep. What the hell? Come on now. Well. Too much, Doc. We'll be in touch again. Okay. Oh, okay, man. Thanks. Take care. That wasn't what I was trying to play. <laughs> there we go. Hey, folks. Hey, got man. a little bit of an oddball question for you. Okay. Fingernails on a chalkboard. I don't know anybody that likes that sound. <laughs> right. The question is, is what is it about those sounds? Is that just an unnatural harmonics? Yeah. Or what's the deal with why do so many people despise that sound? See ya. Well, okay, okay. So they've done studies on this. Oh, they have. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. wow. No, I, yeah. And uh, what they found is that, um, uh, well, a couple of things. Number one, it makes tones at the very top of our hearing, and we're very sensitive to it. The other thing is, is that it's a vestigial reflex. In the, we've talked about these before. Evolutionary. Mm-hmm. It was useful a long time ago in our evolution, and it was selected for. So um, it's pitched such that, that, you know, it might have been a a cat who was chasing you, the growl of the, you know, the screech of the cat or the screech of someone uh, who's having uh, 
a um, something bad happening to them. And so uh, if we if we keep the children we have safe and sound, an amped up response to the child getting hurt could save them. And you get that adrenaline boost, makes us nervous now, but would have been useful for strength and speed back then. So that might be what it is. But uh, so a vestigial response to the sound that an extinct predator that hunted human animals made, something like that. Who knows? I love all those sort of evolutionary explanations for things. Okay. So anyway, Dr. Scott, we've got another question from the uh, fluid family fluid before family. we get out of here. Yeah. Cupcakes wants to know if, so if you do bong hits at high altitude, do you get extra high? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, well, if you're already a mile high already, hmm, hmm. that's a good question. Damn it. I don't know the... I'm trying to think if there would be a difference in the absorption of the smoke over the the surface area of the lung. Well, can I, I will tell yeah, you, go ahead. let's just say hanging out in Boulder, seeing um, oh, Dead, Dead & Co. up there back in <clears throat> July, you didn't have much of a chance... Uh, if you're bree- if you were breathing while you were at the show, <laughs> you didn't have much of a chance. So I would say, I don't think there's a huge difference, especially if you've got a a, a, a good amount of um, <clears throat> herbal medicine flowing through the air. Yeah, this is from I think there's some controversy from marijuanapackaging.com. <laughs> so smoking at high altitude locations isn't getting you higher. It's just as if you smoked after taking a long hike and felt short of breath and tired. The THC may come on stronger because you're already in a somewhat weakened state. Yeah. Huh. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a good question, not cupcakes. <laughs> and that'll, that'll do her, Dr. Steve. Well, here's one from a Denver Frost Denver dispensary. Yes, I'm over 21. Getting high when you're high. How does Denver's altitude affect the cannabis experience? So uh, it says um, being higher doesn't... What? The, the, the English in this is not good. Hmm. There's been a study conducted by the Federal Aviation Administration <clears throat> regarding alcohol and altitude. They conducted tests on humans in a pressurized chamber that could replicate the air and air pressure of any altitude. There was no difference between alcohol's effects at sea level and those at high altitude locations like Denver. Hmm. Your body can only metabolize alcohol so fast. So, yeah, I, they're saying the same is applicable to marijuana. But I wonder, though, if there is some difference in the absorption at high altitude. So I'll look into that. But I, it doesn't look like the studies have borne any fruit mm. as far as uh, recommending that you go to a high altitude to, to, to toke up. I won't say if you're getting high, you're probably going to... Just make sure it's good stuff yeah. and not street pot that's laced with buprenorphine and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> You know, like some of you ours get it from a, here. Get it from a reputable source. Correct. Very good. Reputable source. All right. Well, thanks to everyone who's made the show happen over the years. It uh, has and continues to be the most fun I've had in many years. At least some of the experiences I've had have been some of the most fun. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel. SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern on demand. And other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. It's basically all at Jim McClure's pleasure. I don't know when they run the show. Just listen on demand. That's the best way to help us. 
Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. Go to our website at uh, drsteve.com for schedules, podcasts, and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses, get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. Thanks, everyone.